Look here. Get him out of here. I'll go smooth things over with Chapeska. Tell him food poison or something. What do you mean, get him out of here? Take him to the car. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm a motherfucking dwarf. So unless you got a forklift handy, maybe you should lend a hand, hmm? That figures. You want all kind of set aside special treatment because you're handicapped. You all the same. Special treatment? I'm three foot fucking tall, you asshole. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason to live. They got little hands, little eyes. They walk around telling great big lies. Well, I don't want no short people. Show business is notorious for being a demeaning, cruel, and humiliating industry, even under the best of circumstances. But for someone affected by various forms of dwarfism, the situation can be especially grim. While admittedly there have been inroads within the last few decades for little people to achieve success in film and TV, the public image of them has scarcely improved since, and neither have the roles. But why is that? Especially since the entertainment industry has gradually become more sensitive in the depiction of various genders, races, and sexual preferences. Why are little people still represented in an embarrassing, stereotyped way? On today's episode, we'll attempt to find out why. So join us today as we have a big discussion on little people. Short people are just the same as you and I. It's a wonderful world. All men are brothers until the day they die. Short people got nobody. Short people got nobody Short people got nobody to love Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from evil dolls, to murderous twins, to aborted baby toxic waste monsters. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Oh, good. You know, we're kind of a hot mess today. Yeah, we're all over the fucking place. It's been a hell of a morning. First off, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a future episode, but we're recording in a shitty hotel room in Delaware. We are. Uh huh. More news on that later. Yeah. But Well, let me just add that what that means is you may hear some trucks going by, I don't know, gunshots. Somebody's outside, like, on their motorcycle with a lawn blower. And a jackhammer. Yeah. All basically. at the same time. And we're just going to kind of record through it. We keep trying to stop as we hear stuff, and it's kind of a mess. It's so a goddamn hot we're mess. We're just going to keep going through this, so yeah. sorry, but...
Yeah. So nothing we can do. That's the first thing going on. Yeah. The second thing going on is this episode is really, really depressing. I was so shocked when you told me that last night. We were like, oh, well, let's figure out how we're going to do this. And you were like, my episode on little people is depressing. I was like, oh, shit, really? I didn't mean it to be. I thought it was going to be funny. I thought it was going to be... There'll be some funny stuff in here, but it's depressing as fuck. Well, I mean, that's what happens. Like, a lot of times these episodes, we're like, oh, great, this is going to be really fun. And then we start to learn the history, and we're like, fuck, this is horrible. This is a horrible thing. sad as fuck. Yeah. So there will be grief counseling at the end of today's episode. Thank God. For those who need it. So, moving on. Yeah. It's a great way to start. If you haven't this is like, a turned this off by now, yeah. the next thing is we've got a subreddit. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Tell us why we have a subreddit, because it's your fault. So we have a subreddit because apparently I can't pronounce words for mm-hmm. shit. Yep. And the one that finally pushed someone over the edge <laughs> to make a subreddit about it was John, what I called, Luigiamo. And then I turned around and said it again. Said I was again. like, yeah, that sounds right. Luigiamo. So my natural instinct is just to dial into it and be like, well, fuck you, I'm going to say Luguziamo, mm-hmm. which I feel like I'm going to do that. But for those who want to hear the correct pronunciation, fine. The correct pronunciation is John Leguizamo. Yeah, I say it Leguizamo. I, I mispronounce it because I, I... Wait, that's I, the mispronounce? Yeah, but I like it. I, I, I adopted that because my real name is Leguizamo. Leguizamo. Oh! Because the U is silent in Spanish, but I couldn't explain that, you know, every day of my life. I always got tired of it. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. Okay. Well, so there. Well, now I hope we you're know. fucking happy. We learn things all the time on this podcast, so we've learned a new thing. Besides offending Hispanic people across the world, you also... Oh, I alienated our one Scottish fan uh-huh, right. during my Junkies episode. Another country, the country of Scotland. Yes, yep. by referring to Edinburgh, Scotland as Edinburgh, because apparently I thought it was in fucking Germany or something. Yeah. So, my bad. Edinburgh. Yeah. Germany. So, sorry, Rob. I just offended the Germans, so we're doing great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, so thanks for tuning in. Uh-huh. On that note... Let's move on. To offend all little people. Yes. Well, let's back up a little bit. This is actually a listener-suggested topic mm-hmm. from the folks over at Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast, yep. which I think is no longer around. I think they have a new podcast called Exploitation Filmcast. I did no fact-checking on that. I looked at it on Facebook for one second this morning, and that's the news that I've learned that may or may not be true. But Anyway, a couple of years ago, they suggested this topic by writing midgets 50 times in an iTunes comment. And we were kind of like, we'll never do that. Well, here we are. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to this depressing fucking episode. I'm ready. And we're going to start with midget, uh-huh. the term. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to know this. Why That is an offensive term. It's a why? derogatory yeah. term, and it's a term I'm going to refrain from using as much as I can for this episode. The reason it's a derogatory term, well, let me back up. Merriam-Webster first coined this term in 1816 okay. in the dictionary. And it's considered a derogatory term because it was never really intended to be the official term to identify people with dwarfism. It was created as a label to refer to people of short stature who were on public display as like in freak shows. Like the circus and vaudeville. So it's been exploitive in nature from the beginning. Right. A lot of exploitation tied behind the term midget. I understand. So what you're saying is that having midgetism is not a medical term. No. It's a derogatory term that people make for short people. Right. It's not accurate. 
and it's got a bad past. So people with dwarfism don't want to be referred to that anymore. Understood. So there's an organization called the Little People of America. It's the world's oldest and largest dwarfism support organization. And it's an international membership-based organization for people with dwarfism and their families. They advocate for the abolishment of that word. I don't blame them. No, I don't either. So again, I'm not going to use it if I can help it. The only time I will use it in this episode after this is if it's unavoidable because it's used as a formal title. Sure. Or as a descriptor such as midget wrestling and midget tossing. Right. Which come up later. Yep, that's fair. Moving on, little people are categorized into two basic types. Okay. Pygmy peoples and someone with dwarfism. So pygmy peoples, I'll talk about them real quick. They are an ethnic group who are short in stature. And the term is primarily associated with African pygmies who are the hunter-gatherers of the Congo Basin. Okay. It is estimated that there are somewhere between 250,000 and 600,000 pygmies living in the Congo rainforest right now. That's a lot. Yeah. So the term pygmy is from the Greek meaning fist or length corresponding to the distance between the elbow and the knuckles. So it's kind of like... <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're not. So here's some sad facts. Let's get the sad shit going okay, right away. Right. So one third were killed and one third were displaced during the 1994 Rwanda genocide. Oh, no, it's I'm fucked sorry. Up. Yeah. And sometimes their children were exported to human zoos in Europe, including the 1907 World's Fair in Chicago. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. So, All right. So that's enough about pygmies because this episode really isn't about them. It's mostly about people with dwarfism. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about dwarfism. So there's two basic types of dwarfism. There's disproportionate and proportionate. So disproportionate dwarfism is where some parts of the body are small and others are of average size or above average size. Right, right. Proportion is just what it sounds like. Their body is small, but it's in proportion with the rest of their body, like someone of average height would be proportionate. Short. Okay. But those are both medical conditions is what you're saying. Yes. It's not just a short person. Right. No, no, no. They're based off of real medical conditions, three of which I'm going to talk about next because they're the three most common. Mm -hmm. The first one is called achondroplasia. Yep. And that's the most common. That's 80% of the people with dwarfism suffer this form of dwarfism. Okay. Basically, it's a chromosome that causes abnormal cartilage and bone growth. Mm -hmm. The people who have this are usually disproportionate dwarfs. Got it. The next one is hormone growth deficiency, which is usually based on uh, some sort of damage or mutation with the pituitary gland. Mm -hmm. Those folks are considered the proportionate dwarfs most of the time. So they're just short in stature, but all their limbs are the the length that an average height person's limbs would be. Sure. And the third one I want to talk about is called Turner syndrome, and that condition affects only females. So we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit more. But those are the three basic types. There's more conditions that lead to dwarfism. but Those are the predominant ones. Right. And those are the ones that kind of pop up again as we talk about dwarves in this episode. So real quick, the term dwarf originated from Old English pre-Christian mythology. They were described as originally being pitch black human-shaped entities that dwell in mountains and is variously associated with wisdom, smithing, mining, and crafting. Hmm. It wasn't until later, although it's not really sure when, when the short stature part became associated with the term dwarf. Okay, really? And of course, as time goes by with the popularity of things like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books, the term dwarf became associated with those types of characters. I see. So it's Disney. Yeah. Disney's fault. Yeah. Yeah, Disney fucked it up for everybody. So continuing with history, looking all the way back to ancient Egypt, dwarves were seen as people with celestial gifts. They were treated with considerable respect and could enjoy high social positions. Oh, that's nice. So during the first dynasty, which is around 3100 BC, dwarves served and worked directly for the kings and royal households. They so revered little people that even some of their gods were dwarves. For instance, the god Bess, spelled B-E-S, I guess Mm -hmm. is how you pronounce it, was the god of dreams, luck, dancing, birth, and protector of the household. Another god, Ptah, P-T-A-H, maybe it's pronounced Ta, I don't know. Hear that subreddit? Yeah, write it down now. Get it on there now. 
is another example and is known as the god of regeneration and rejuvenation. Sadly, though, and here we go, we're getting uh-huh, sad again. Of course. Dwarves would lose their status as time went on. And first starting with Egyptian society, their status would wane, and that would carry on in ancient Greece and Roman civilization as well. And flashing forward to Europe, thousand years later, and their stature, no pun intended, in society was even worse. For instance, in European courts around the 1400s, there was something of a novelty. They essentially were gifted and loaned for entertainment and were treated like collectibles or pets. Mm-hmm. The old court jester stereotype right, comes sure. to mind. Now, let's talk freak shows, because this is the next step of our journey. You did a whole episode on it, yep. and I don't want to delve too deep in it, but just to say that freak shows existed for hundreds of years and was first recorded in England around the 1500s. They showcased all forms of medical abnormalities to include persons with dwarfism. It wasn't until P.T. Barnum came around that the freak show or circus sideshow would reach mainstream status. Barnum created his American Oddities Museum around the 1840s, and it was hugely successful, as you've talked about. The show featured a dwarf named Charles Sherwood Stratton, better known by his stage name, General Tom Thumb. Oh, I remember him. He was probably known as the first dwarf celebrity. He joined Barnum's Circus when he's five years old, and his act was impersonating characters such as Cupid and Napoleon, as well as singing, dancing, comical banter with another performer who acted as the straight man to that Mm -hmm. performance. Barnum took young Stratton on tour to Europe, making him an international celebrity. Stratton appeared twice before Queen Victoria, and he also met a three-year-old King Edward VII. Mm -hmm. The tour was a huge success. He had crowds mobbing him wherever he went. After his three-year tour in Europe, Stratton began to rise in stardom in the United States. Stratton's fame grew at an astonishing rate, and his popularity and celebrity surpassed that of any actor within his lifetime. Oh, wow. Pretty incredible. He was so popular and revered that he was able to transform a lot of people's opinions about the performers and freak shows, and was judged more as a skill as a performer than just a curiosity on his size. Yeah. Does this have a terrible, horrible ending? (laughs) Is he run over by a car and... Wait and see. Oh, boy. So he was the first example I can find of a little person celebrity slash entertainer, and was the one that managed to garner respect and admiration through performing in a show that was noted for historically treating its attractions as bizarre things on display than true talented entertainers. So Mm -hmm. he was groundbreaking for his time. Yeah. Which finally brings me to the movies. So the first little person film actor I could find was a guy named Angelo Rusito, also known as Little Angie or Mo. Mm-hmm. He was a dwarf that was only two feet, 11 inches tall. Rusito was discovered by John Barrymore and made his screen debut opposite Barrymore in The Beloved Rogue from 1927. Oh, wow. John Barrymore. Huh. Yep. I don't really know what this movie's about, but supposedly it was lost for some 40 years until a copy was found in the 60s. Oh, wow. It's not a lost film anymore. Throughout his life, Rosito appeared on screen, and he portrayed everything from dwarfs, midget, gnomes, pygmies, as well as monsters, villains, and aliens. He starred in over 70 films to include Child Bride from 1938. Child Bride! But one of his last roles, he played the master part of the two-person character Master Blaster from the Mel Gibson, Tina Turner-starred film Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yes! I love that movie. Little Angie would also appear in my next movie, Freaks. Todd Browning's 1932 horror film, which is considered not only one of the most notorious films ever made, but it's probably the most exploitive portrayals of the circus sideshow life in film. Agree to disagree. You talked about it at length in several episodes, so I'm not going to discuss it, only to say that Mo wasn't the only little person featured in the film. Another one I want to discuss is Harry Earls, yep. who was part of the Earls family, also known as the Dahl family. Mm-hmm who are a German-American quartet of dwarf siblings born in Germany. Oh, so they were German and they were born in Germany? You could be German-American and not be born in fucking Germany, (laughs) Slate. Bastard. God. See the shit I gotta put up with? (laughs) 
They were popular performers in circuses and sideshows in the United States from the mid-1910s until their retirement in the 50s. Both Harry and his sister Daisy had prominent roles in the film Freaks, but they would become better known for having starring roles in my next movie, where the whole Doll family would have roles, and that film would be The Wizard of Oz from 1939. Yep. I don't need to describe this movie. Everybody in the whole fucking world knows about this movie, so I don't need to talk about it. Everyone's seen it, and everyone's quite familiar with the Munchkins from Munchkinland. Mm-hmm. So all the doll family played munchkins in the film, as well as a reported 120 other little persons, give or take. Not to mention about 10 additional child actors to fill in the background. So mm-hmm. they, when they couldn't find enough little people, they're like, just get some kids in here. How many did you say? A hundred and... About 124 total. Oh, that's a lot. It is. And it's still considered the record number of dwarves in a film, mm-hmm. in one film. Most of the dwarves hired were acquired for MGM by Leo Singer. He was an Austrian-born American manager for an entertainment group called Singer's Midgets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were a popular vaudeville group in the first half of the 20th century. Fun fact, the Munchkins were awarded a star in Hollywood Walk of Fame in November 2007. Seven of them attended the ceremony. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. A quick aside real quick, too. This is interesting. I didn't know this, but according to the book Munchkins of Oz, there was a turf war between proportional and disproportionate dwarves. Really? Yeah, it was like they had a feud. They had a little fight going on. I love little people drama. And some of those attitudes and resentments still linger to this day, which is crazy. That doesn't surprise me. We'll reference Wizard of Oz again later, but I want to move on to my next film, which actually came out a year before, and it's fucking nuts. It's called... The Terror of Tiny Town from 1938, which you've been just waiting for me to talk about this this whole time. I know nothing about this movie other than it exists. I can't believe that it does. And I want to know everything about Tiny Town. All right. I'll tell you what I know and what I found. So The Terror of Tiny Town is an American film starring Billy Curtis and is the world's only musical Western with an all dwarf cast. Mm -hmm. The inspiration for the film came when the film... It's a musical? You didn't even tell me that. Oh, yeah. It's a musical, yeah. It's free. We're going to put the link on the site Uh, so the people at home can watch it. Yeah. It's something. Uh Uh-huh. So, the inspiration of the film came when the film's producer, Jed Buell... I guess that's how you pronounce it. Fuck. Just just put on Subreddit. Reddit. Subreddit. Overheard an employee jokingly say, if this economic dive keeps going, we'll be using midgets as actors. So he's like, hey, that's a great idea. Uh-huh. Right. I came up with a really shitty idea. Right. Let's do something about it. Yep. So you haven't seen this movie. It's exploitive as hell. The cast rides around on Shetland ponies for horses. Uh-huh. And the sets that they use are regular sized human sets. So... Some of these visual gags include like a dwarf walking under the swinging doors of a saloon and it's played for laughs. That's kind of funny. It's a little funny. Also, back then, of course, like I mentioned, the term midget was everywhere. Thrown so, around, yeah. So even the title card has the cast listed as the midgets and then has their name underneath oh, it. God. Fun fact, The Terror of Tiny Town was released theatrically on December 1st, 1938. The box office returns were so good that the producer, Jed Well whatever the fuck you say his name, announced in Variety magazine that he had closed a deal and had plans for a multiple series of sequel films featuring an All Little People cast. So he was going to make this a whole fucking like, franchise. Oh, I didn't realize it was successful. It I money. figured it was like a giant bomb. No, it apparently made some cash. Wow. Enough that they were going to do sequels. Little they, People. Yeah. Big and, money. 
So pretty much everyone in Tiny Town, including star Billy Curtis, would end up playing Munchkins the following year in Wizard of Oz. So mm-hmm. they just pulled him over and put him in the film. Yeah. That's really all I got on Tiny Town. There's not much more on it, except that it's just a weird fucking film that made money for whatever reason. Huh. And they were going to make a series out of it. It never occurred. But all the people who were in that movie just shuffled over to the next studio and were in Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And you really need to watch it because it's just fucking nuts. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages. We're going to present for your approval a novelty picture with an all-midget cast, the first of its kind ever to be produced. I'm told that it has everything. That is, everything that a Western should have. It's a soul-stirring drama, a searing saga of the sagebrush, and it's called The Terror of Tiny Town. But I must caution you not to take it too seriously. Excuse me, there's a slight correction. You mean it is serious? Sure it's serious. I'm the hero. After this picture's out, I'll be the biggest cowboy star in Hollywood. Wait a minute. Who are you? I'm the terror of Tiny Town. And that's the star part. That's what you think. Yeah, that's just what I think. Wait a minute, man, man, wait a minute. We'll see. Let's go through the picture. (laughs) That's a swell idea. Let's go through with the picture. So star Billy Curtis who was the star of Tiny Town, he would go on to have a pretty long film and TV career and would show up in movies like Hitchcock's Saboteur. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the cult classic Eating Raoul. And he would appear in a number of other westerns to include Clint Eastwood's High Plains Drifter, which I talked about from my Revenge of the Grave episode. Oh, right. Yeah. I want to jump forward a bit to the 50s because I think you can see little people were getting niche film roles in movies, but they were still treated as novelties and were exploited for very small amounts of money. But at least they had jobs. And in the real world, little people were having a hard time finding employment, Yeah, which I'm not going to talk too much about. But just to say that if you think it was bad for an actor, it was definitely bad not being an actor, yeah, being sure. a little person. But this was starting to change due in part to Billy Barty, a film actor and television star who in 1957 organized a meeting of little persons in Reno, Nevada. This meeting eventually led to the founding of the Little People of America organization. I talked about earlier. Yep. A powerful nonprofit that advocates for the rights of little people or LPs, which I'll probably start calling them that to make life easy for me in this episode. Membership in the LPA is limited to people that are 410 or under. So you have to be shorter than 410 to be considered a little person in this organization or those with a diagnosed form of dwarfism. So there you go. And let's talk about Billy Barty for a second. He was an actor and was in a bunch of films. He was in a number of TV shows too. Fun fact in 1981, Barty received a motion picture star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a character actor. You'd recognize him. I'm sure. Yeah. Picture. But let's jump to the 70s now, because though the Little People of America Association might have helped working conditions for little people inside and outside of the industry, it wasn't helping any of those little persons in the foreign film market. Case in point, Even Dwarves Started Small from 1970, which is the West German comedy drama film written, produced, and directed by Werner Herzog. Oh, Werner Herzog. It was his second movie. Mm-hmm. I talked about this before yeah, in Insane Asylums. Yeah. And it's about a group of dwarfs confined in an institution on a remote island and they rebel against the guards and the director. It's a fucking batshit crazy movie. The crazies take over the asylum, but they're all dwarfs. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing but mayhem. The dwarves gleefully break windows, dishes, they run around and they drive a truck around in circles, whatever, have food fights. It's just, it's a fucking bizarre movie. But is it supposed to be a comedy? Or? I think so, but it's, you know, it's a Werner Herzog comedy, so yeah. God knows what the fuck he was thinking. Yeah. You know, I love that he exists. It's a weird fucking movie. Fun fact, and I talked about this before, while filming the scene where a van was driving in circles, one of the actors was run over and he was fine. Mm-hmm. But then that same actor caught on fire later. <laughs> he was also fine after that. You're just destined to kill any joy of this episode. Yeah. Right? yeah. You guys having fun? <laughs> Everyone having fun out there? 
No one's jumped out a window yet? All right, well, good. Keep listening, because it, it gets better. So, while Werner Herzog was running over dwarves and lighting them on fire overseas, just a year <laughs> later after that crazy-ass movie came out, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 1971 American musical starring Gene Wilder, w- would come out. Yeah. It's an adaptation of the 1964 novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. Everyone knows the story. It's the kid Charlie Bucket gets his golden yeah. ticket, comes to the sure, factory. Sure, talk about the Oompa Loompas. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Why were they orange? It just doesn't, it doesn't say. Although, fun fact on the Oompa Loompas, in early editions of the novel, Dahl presented the Oompa Loompas as pygmies, but changed them to white people later on. Oh, Although, really? in the book, they still had like their indigenous wardrobes and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that until I researched it. So, everyone knows the Oompa Loompas, but again, those were prominent dwarfs in that movie. We'll come back again with the remake, starring Johnny Depp later on, but... Mm-hmm. Hold on to that. Okay, so my next big thing in the 70s that I want to talk about is a film series that really helped the career of several dwarfs, and that is the Star Wars film series. Oh, right. Starting with the original film in 1977. Two little person actors would boost their careers with this film. The first one would be Kenny Baker, who is the person inside R2-D2, and the next would be a guy named Jack Purvis, who would play like the lead Jawa role in the first film. Mm-hmm. Both actors would appear again in the sequel, The Empire Strikes Back. Again, Baker would be R2-D2, and Purvis would be a small creature known as an Ugnaught. We'll come back to Star Wars movies in a few, but I wanted to move on to my next film, because the film that reteamed Kenny Baker and Jack Purvis and teamed them up with a few other dwarf actors, a guy named Tiny Ross, a guy named Malcolm Dixon, Mike Edmonds. His name Edmonds. was Tiny? Yes. Ouch. I'm sure it's a nickname. Malcolm Dixon, Mike Edmonds, and David... No, you don't think that his mother saw that she had a dwarf as a son and named him Tiny, just to be funny? <laughs> yeah. She's like, hey, check this out. You're going to fucking love this, She's Tiny. like, you know what will make this situation even worse? Yeah. I'll name him Tiny. You're just dialing into this depression part of this. Your slate's like, fuck it. Let's just all go off the fucking cliff together. So, you know, I, I commend you for that. Thank you. And the last person I'm going to talk about as part of this group is David Rappaport. And these folks all teamed up to star in the batshit crazy Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits from 1981. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? A long time ago. I used to watch this all the time, like on HBO or cable. Oh, when I was really? A kid. That was yeah. one of your cable movies? Yeah. It came on all the time. So yeah. I watched it all the time. So I really, really dug it. It's kind of dark, too. And of course, it's British. Yeah. Which I know you love everything British. Ugh. Time Bandits is an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. (laughs) What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest. (laughs) Honest. Honest. What's that got to do with it? So anyway, Time Bandits, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a young boy who accidentally joins a band of time-traveling dwarves as they jump from era to era looking for treasure to steal. Time Bandits received critical acclaim and grossed over $40 million on a budget of $5 million. It was Gilliam's first hit in the U.S. and helped him open his film career here. Mm-hmm. So it was a big hit for him. So moving on, my next film of the same year is probably the second highest employer of dwarves in film history. But this movie's fucking terrible. And it's called Under the Rainbow from 1981. Mm. You ever heard of this movie? No. I also watched this once or twice on cable when I was a kid because it was shown all the time. I mean, does this have something to do with The Wizard of Oz? Well, yes. The IMDb description of this is a visiting dignitary, a CIA agent, a Nazi spy, Japanese tourists, an assassin, and a group of midget actors from The Wizard of Oz all check into an elite Los Angeles hotel called Under the Rainbow. 
The film stars Chevy Chase, Carrie Fisher, and Billy Barney, as I mentioned before, who started the Little Persons of America group. And it also features Jerry Marin, who previously played a member of the Lollipop Guild in Wizard of Oz. Okay. This movie's fucking terrible. Yeah, it sounds really bad. So the plot is loosely based on the gathering of little people in a Hollywood hotel to audition for roles as munchkins in the, in the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, it's also loosely based on the hard partying, drinking, and sexual harassment that the dwarves all were part of when they stayed in this Hollywood hotel during the filming of Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? This is a myth that was also perpetuated by Judy Garland, who said that she'd been harassed and propositioned by some dwarves on set. Oh, she got dwarf harassed, yeah. Yeah, so supposedly they were hard partying, drinking poon hounds. (laughs) (laughs) Poon hounds. That makes me happy. It makes me happy. So now we have a little bit of levity here in this dark terrible episode i mean but if supposedly, you're gonna be yeah. exploited like and not paid well for your job then at least fuck some shit up and right you know go ahead grope judy garland it's yeah fine. i mean that's how i look at it yeah i mean it's, that's definitely not the worst thing that's happened to her no no also just to point out all those allegations have been largely disputed yeah i'm you sure know, it's mostly just hollywood legend but still it's it's cool Ooh, that it exists. i like that it exists yeah same here same here so this movie's fucking terrible some fun facts on that the film was nominated for razzie awards for worst musical score Worst Supporting Actor for Billy Barty, which is a shame. And it received like super negative reviews, many of which condemned the various sight gags involving little people. Both Carrie Fisher and Chevy Chase have said that this is the worst movie they've ever been in. Jeez. And that's saying something for Chevy Chase because he was in fucking Caddyshack too, And that's fucking terrible. Yeah, he's not my favorite. I don't know if it was a big flop. I think it maybe barely broke even. I've never even heard of it. It's forgettable. It's totally, it's pretty bad. What the hell's going on here? Guess what happened when 150 midgets checked into a hotel in Hollywood to make one of the world's biggest movies. What happened to that hotel and to Hollywood has to be seen to be believed. And believe you me, it's not short on action. It's not short on danger. It's not short on excitement either. All kinds of excitement. And you better believe it's not short on laughs. If you haven't already guessed, it'll be out shortly. Chevy Chase, Carrie Fisher, and 150 of Hollywood's smallest stars in Under the Rainbow, a giant comedy. Coming from Orion Pictures. All right, so moving on, I'm going to finish up the Star Wars saga with Return of the Jedi from 1983, which had Jack Purvis again, Kenny Baker, both would play as Ewoks and... Kenny Baker would be R2-D2 again. But this is also the introduction of little person actor Warwick Davis, mm-hmm. who played the role of Ewok Wicket. He'd go on to play Ewoks in a bunch of other Star Wars properties, TV shows, and movies. He also went on to become a pretty popular character actor, landing the lead role in the movie Willow from 1988, directed by Ron Howard. Oh, I know who you're talking about. It's a George Lucas movie that stars Val Kilmer, Joanne Whaley, and Billy Barton. Again, he would show up again. Oh. Huh. So yeah, Willow, for those of you who haven't seen it, he plays a hero, a reluctant farmer who plays a critical role in protecting a special baby from an evil queen who vows to destroy her and take over the world. It made money, but it wasn't enough to make it a blockbuster franchise. Willow's one of those movies that like a lot of people remember from their childhood, but like was not a success. No. Yeah. Yeah, no, not at all. It wasn't a major flop, but yeah, it just didn't really go anywhere. But like I said, Warwick Davis, just to talk about him a little bit more, so he would go on past that, and he would have some major roles in some Harry Potter movies, where he played Professor Flitwick in those films. I don't know if you've ever seen the Harry Potter movies. He also was in the classic Leprechaun horror movie franchise. He played the Leprechaun in those oh, movies. Oh, really? Yeah, in all of them, including the one in space. Those are fine films. Fine, fine films. Just kidding. And we'll come back to Warwick Davis. But on that point, I'd like to talk about another little person who found success in the 80s. And as I mentioned before, his name was Dave. 
David Rappaport, he was in Time Bandits. Mm -hmm. He would go on to success in the 80s with his own TV show, The Wizard, as well as he would be in Captain Planet and L.A. Law. He would have recurring roles in those TV shows. Oh, wow. He he had success in TV. He made it work. He made it work. Other little people would find cinematic success in the 80s. Zelda Rubenstein, who had her breakthrough role in Toby Hooper's directed hit, Poltergeist, where she played the medium. Yeah, she played the medium who was trying to clean, quote unquote, the haunted house. She would continue finding roles in the Poltergeist sequels, as well as other films. And then you had Linda Hunt, who you mentioned in your Gender Benders episode, for her role as the male Chinese Australian photographer Billy Kwan in the movie The Year of Living Dangerously. So many things wrong with that. Sure. But Hunt won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in 1983, becoming the first person to win an Oscar for playing a character of the opposite sex, which you mentioned. By the way, Linda Hunt's condition is Turner Syndrome, as I mentioned earlier, was one of the biggest. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, so before I leave the 80s, I can't forget about one of the most popular little people in TV, and that would be Hervé Jean-Pierre Villachez. Not awful. Not too bad. Someone will say something. Mm, yeah, it's fine. He was a French-American actor. He was best remembered for his role as the evil henchman Nick knack in the 1974 James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun. But he was even more so recognized as playing Mr. Rourke's assistant, Tattoo, on the American hit show Fantasy Island, which aired between 1977 and 1984, where he had the catchphrase... De plane, de plane. Yeah hugely popular, although forever typecast during that decade. So moving on to the 90s, we would see other little people actors get their foot in the door and find success in the movie business. Most notably was Joseph Anthony Cox, known as Tony Cox, an African-American dwarf who had been in the movie business since the 80s to include Under the Rainbow and was also an Ewok in Return of the Jedi, but didn't start getting well-known until he showed up in films like The Ice Cube Vehicle Friday, the oh, Ferrelli Brothers right. Jim Carrey vehicle, Me, Myself, and Irene, and then, of course, Bad Santa, and then all these, like, date movie, disaster movie, 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 movies. Right. I loved Bad Santa. Yeah. And he was great in it. He's you remember really him. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then there's Vern Troyer, who was the American actor, comedian, and stunt performer who played Mini-Me in the Austin Powers film series. Mm-hmm. He was only two feet, eight inches high, the result of cartilage hair hypoplasia. That's a condition. This made him one of the shortest men in the world. He started as a body double for small children in some movies. Like, he was in Baby's Day Out as a baby stand-in. Mm-hmm. Remember that movie? Uh, yeah, yeah Baby's Day Out? Yeah, uh, it was something terrible. Yeah. But it was the success of the Austin Powers films that made him a household name. Yeah. He would have a career uptick after that, and was even in the Terry Gilliam film, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Mm-hmm. But mostly he would appear as himself on a bunch of TV shows to include WWE and Celebrity Wife Swap. We'll talk about Ventoria as we go on, because tragedy. Yeah, I remember. All right. So you would think at this point that little people have reached some level of respectability and were getting recognized in roles. And you would see, you know, some would win Oscars, you know, mm-hmm. some would get prominent roles and be very famous. You would think, okay, now we're, we're getting somewhere. There's some progress. Well, now we're going to get into some sad shit. Yeah, of course. Because that's what it's all about, is fucking misery. And there are two things that stand out that were really exploitive that were around this time period still going on. The first one is midget wrestling. Mm -hmm. So midget wrestling is professional wrestling involving dwarves or people of short stature. Its heyday was like the 50s and 60s. It had wrestlers such as Little Beaver, Lord Littlebrook, Fuzzy Cupid, and Sky Lolo. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Jesus. And in the following couple of decades, more wrestlers became prominent in North America, but its popularity was slowly declining. By the mid-90s, midget wrestlers mostly appeared in comical matches and segments, rather than serious competitive wrestling-type matches. It did have a brief resurgence, I guess, by the mid-2000s in the U.S. Midget divisions once again were part of major wrestling promotions, and wrestlers were competing for and winning championships made for average-sized male wrestlers. So, it, you know, it's coming back a little bit. Right. But the little people of America criticized midget wrestling as reinforcing stereotypes 
that little people are no more than entertainment. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, you know, the LPA frowns on the use of the word midget, so calling something midget wrestling was offensive as well. Yeah. But interestingly enough, some of the wrestlers don't feel the same way. Many, including former WWE midget wrestler Hornswoggle, have said that they take pride in the term due to its history in the industry and prefer its usage due to its marketability. Still, in this day and age, nothing really should have the word midget as a title in it anymore. I think that if a little person wants to use that term, they should, they're allowed to. Right. All right. Well, just moving on, whether or not we think midget is a term to use in wrestling, I will tell you the next event has been highly frowned upon. And that is dwarf tossing mm-hmm. or midget tossing. And that is a bar attraction in which people with dwarfism wearing special padded clothing or like Velcro costumes are thrown onto mattresses or Velcro coated walls. Participants compete to throw the person with dwarfism the furthest. Also, related activities like dwarf bowling, mm-hmm. all these other stupid events. But anyway, dwarf tossing apparently was a big deal. It started in Australia in the form of pub entertainment in the early 80s. And it made its way to the States in the, like the mid to late 80s. In 1989, Florida enacted a ban on dwarf tossing at establishments where liquor is served. And New York followed with a similar ban in 1990. I remember that. Yeah. It's still legal in many states, though. Although January of this year, Washington State Senator Mike Padden sponsored a bill that would ban such contests and promotions and any other, quote, recreational activity involving exploitation that endangers the health, safety, and welfare of any person with dwarfism, unquote. Yeah. All right. So... With little people being treated as novelty acts with things like dwarf tossing and midget wrestling, among other degrading things little people have to deal with, it's understandable that a large number of little people deal with depression. Though there are no medical studies on suicide and depression rates among little people, the anecdotal evidence is pretty alarming. And not just the average person, let's look at some of the actors and performers I discussed in this episode. This is where it gets fucking dark, people. I can tell. So, David Rappaport, who was in Time Bandits, as I talked about, and that Wizard TV show, shot himself at the height of his fame in 1990. Three years after that, Hervé Villachez, tattoo himself, shot himself outside of his North Hollywood home. He had written a suicide note that his dwarfism left him in intolerable physical pain. Henry Nassif Jr., known to millions of Howard Stern fans as Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf, who was a regular on the show for years, died in his parents' home in 2001. It looked like he had drank himself to death, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Vern Troyer, who after achieving fame and success in Austin Powers, as I said, first he had a bit of an alcohol problem developed from all of that, I guess. But then he dies at the age of 49. No cause was immediately released. His death was reported a possible suicide to the coroner, who found very high alcohol levels in his body, suggesting later and confirming alcohol poisoning as the cause of death. Mm-hmm. So, pretty fucking depressing. Yep. So, to add on top of that, mm-hmm. you've got depression. You have still being treated as freaks with little or no opportunity outside of show business much less limited roles that they do have. Now, thanks to CGI and special effects, the few character work that they do get is now being taken by actors of regular stature. Right. For example, the movie Tiptoes from 2003. Have you ever heard of this movie? No. Oh, I suppose it's fucking terrible. I've never watched it, but it has Gary Oldman playing a little person. Oh, no. Oh, Matthew McConaughey's in it. It's some rom-com. And yeah, Gary Oldman's playing a little person. Oh, boy. And they use like a combination of him like on his knees with shoes and CGI, I think. Oh, boy. Yeah, really troubling. Nope, nope, nope. Carol and Stephen's life together was perfect. There's one small problem. It can tear them apart. I think you're going to let me know that everyone in your family's a midget. They're not midgets, Carol, they're dwarfs. When the going gets rough, it's only the size of your heart that counts. Would it really be that big of a deal if our kid was a dwarf? Canal Plus and Langley Productions proudly present command performances from Kate Beckinsale, Matthew McConaughey, 
Patricia Arquette, and in the role of a lifetime, Gary Oldman. Tiptoes. I think it was never released in theaters in the States. I mm-hmm. think this thing was just like, we're not putting this out. And then there's the more recent Snow White and the Huntsman from 2012 that starred that, yeah. Kristen Stewart, Charlize Theron, and Chris Hemsworth. And in that movie, there's eight dwarfs, and they're all played by regular size actors to include Bob Hoskins and his final performance and Ian McShane. Wow. So they just made all these regular actors into dwarfs. Oh, CGI has ruined us as a people. I believe so. Now, this actually caused a protest from the LPA. It's kind of fucked up. I mean, it is fucked up. Yeah. Because they're saying that dwarves are not good enough to play their own selves. Instead, they want people of regular height to play the dwarves because they're going to be better at being dwarves than actual dwarves. That's fucked up. And it's fucked up. Yeah. It is. Now, let's look at the remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory from 2005. That was directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka. And they did use a real little person, a guy named Gurdeep Roy, or known as Deep Roy, Mm -hmm. but they used CGI to just replicate him. So they hired one dwarf and made hundreds of him. Instead of hiring 100 dwarfs, they just hired one dude, and they're like, ah, well, we got one dwarf, fuck it. And and they just copied him. Stupid. Yeah. That had to be ridiculously more expensive. CG is very expensive. Right. That's so stupid. Yeah, it's fucking dumb as trash. Yeah, it was trash. Yeah. So now we have these roles that are already limited, and now technology is making it even harder. So I have a quote from Tony Cox, who I talked about, he was in Bad Santa. And he said, every time a park comes up for a little person, the competition is fierce because they just don't write enough roles for us. It's terrible, and the roles are not good at all. And then he says, people don't realize what we go through. So yeah, it's already hard. Yeah. I want to say something too, and we'll come back to this person in a little bit. But what's crazy though, like in the movie Tiptoes I mentioned, is that it has actual little people in it to include fucking Peter Dinklage. Like a renowned Mm -hmm. actor is already in this movie. Right. And they decide to give it to Gary Oldman. So just to fuel your rage a little bit more Mm -hmm. and make everybody at home pissed off, at least we started funny. (laughs) Now we've gone to shit. All right. So. Let's talk about Peter Dinklage real quick. He's the last I was hoping you weren't going to gonna skip the station agent, my favorite movie. Yeah, yeah. So Peter Dinklage is one of the most popular actors today, mainly because of his portrayal of Tyrion Lannister in the recently ended HBO show Game of Thrones. I don't really have to explain this show. It's the most popular show in the fucking world. Everyone so knows, what, everyone knows what it is, blah, blah, blah. But just to say the character of Tyrion is everyone's favorite character. It was the best written character. It was the best written character in the books. And just to give you some background on Mr. Dinklage, so this was not his first performance. He'd been in a bunch of movies, but the first one where he really got accolades was the 2003 film, The Station Agent, playing Finbar McBride, who is a quiet, withdrawn, unmarried man. You know, it's just a regular role. You got anything to say about that? I love love this movie. movie. It's one of my favorites. I've seen it a million times because it's about sad people. So, you know, I love that. Oh, you love sad people. sad, lonely people. Fits this episode. So, yeah. Yeah, that try to kind of be friends with each other and commiserate on their sad lives and even that goes to shit because they're all sad lonely people oh i love it yeah i love it yeah i'm guessing that what you're going to say is is that the station agent is probably the only film of where the role that peter dinklage plays of finn could have been played by a normal height person that was a casting choice there are a couple of moments in the movie of where he is kind of made fun of he gets in a bar fight and the reason why he's being made fun of is because he is a person with dwarfism 
But other than that, he could have been played by a person of normal stature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a role that's not defined by dwarfism. Right. And that's probably the roles that what's his name, Cox, of course, all I remember is that his name was Cox, (laughs) was talking about. Yeah. Is essentially, you don't just want the roles that are short person number one and short person number two, is that a person that with dwarfism should be able to play a regular role. It's a casting decision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To go on with Dinklage here, just to keep with him for a bit, he's been a lot of stuff since then. He was in three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Yep. He was in Nip Tuck for a while. I never saw that show. But mm-hmm. I know he was a regular on that. And of course, he's in one of the later Avengers movies. He played a role there, too. He actually played a giant. Fun fact some people say I look like Peter Dinklage. I don't see it. No? No. Might just be because I'm five foot seven. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dinklage's form of dwarfism is achondroplasia, as I mentioned before, the most common form. And though he normally does not speak out much about his condition one way or another, he actually did protest dwarf tossing, as I mentioned, in his 2012 Golden Globe acceptance speech for his work as Tyrion Lannister. His speech sent viewers to Google to look up the sad tale of a guy named Martin Henderson, a little person who was tossed by a drunk man during a Rugby World Cup, rendering him paralyzed. Ugh, yeah. It's fucked up. So it's good that he's speaking out about this stuff. He has a platform he can do that. He normally doesn't. He's not like a crusader, right. you know, but it's good that he's able to voice these things and people listen to him. And And I think he serves as a really good inspiration. I mean, for actors of any stature, but it's good to see this level of fame with somebody who is of short stature. Yeah. It's also the only person in this episode that didn't shoot himself at the end. Right. Great. Yeah. So one last thing. I'm going to move on from Mr. Dinglich. And before I close this out, I just want to talk about a phenomenon that sort of happened in the last 10 years, which are all these little person reality shows that seem to pop up. Uh Yeah. So you had examples like The Little Couple, Little People, Big World, The Seven Little Johnsons. You can make a joke. I knew you were going to giggle at that. Our Little Family. There are all these reality shows that popped up on TLC. And I guess you could argue that they're showing the life and times of a little person, just like you and me. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a little bit of exploitation there as well. Definitely. And I, listen, people watch that to see that little people, they're just like us. But the memes that come out of there are when a little person pushes another little person in the pool. You know what I mean? And when a little person flips over a table or when a little person does something that a real housewife would also do right. and that's becomes i mean it's reality tv it's yeah, yeah. exploitation and you know you're right. yeah i guess the one thing that you could say is that at least they're exploiting little people the same way that they're exploiting you know moms from new jersey the way that they're exploiting basically everybody else in reality tv shows yeah yeah so one last thing about these reality shows so warwick davis who i mentioned in the star wars movies and willow and everything else even started in his own one of these shows called life's too short It was sort of a mockumentary, like a take on these reality shows. And it was written by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. And Davis plays a fictionalized version of himself. And both Gervais and and Merchant appear in supporting roles as themselves. The show aired on on BBC and HBO picked it up. And it also kind of looks like a mix between extras and Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's kind of funny, Mm -hmm. you know. Sure. Like an exaggerated version of those shows. So that's kind of cool. My name is Warwick Davis. I'm an actor. Can we lose the face? Lose the face? Can we uh, cover up the face, please? I'm also an agent. phone rings we don't know if you're taking the best roles for yourself he's not the phone never rings oh and i've got a massive tax bill would you be better off dead financially yes whoa hear that it's the sound of justice slicing through bullshit someone just messed with the wrong midget correct dwarf you can't say midget so that's all I got to say. Let's wrap up this depressing fucking mm-hmm. sad saga of little people and just say that going back to the beginning, it's interesting how little people were looked at much differently by the Egyptians than, say, the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and even now. 
Well, there have been some very successful actors who are little people. The realities are that the roles, for the most part, aren't there, and the ones that are are at the expense of being small. Mm-hmm. And it goes to show that those little people who do achieve big success still face issues elsewhere that affect their lives, like depression. Add to that, the films written with dwarf characters that have like some substance to them and are meaty are now being taken up by regular size actors with the help of special effects. So there's that issue on top of it all. It's great to see somebody like Peter Dinklage get the opportunity to play a character that is the most popular and well-written one in one of the most loved TV shows of all time. And he had this to say when he was asked if he thought dwarf actors had more opportunity now in Hollywood. He said, I'd like to think so. I try to be optimistic about it. I never really set out to change the parameters of casting. I just like good writing. The fame thing for me is a little hard. I don't enjoy it. But yes, I'd like to think more opportunities are out there. But cynically, it's hard to speak to without sounding like I'm not being critical of somebody else's choices. I just know what I want in my career, and I respect the choices of actors who are my size or not make. And I understand bills have to be paid, but it does perpetuate things. Not to get too political about it, but it's a stereotype that still exists. Dwarf tossing still exists. There are still people of my size dressing up as elves at Christmas time. And if everybody continues to do that, then it won't stop. And unfortunately, he's right. It seems in the entertainment business, at least, for little people, the obstacles are as big as they ever were. And that's my episode. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to go fucking kill myself. (laughs) Jump off this balcony out here in our Uh hotel room. So what do you got, Sleep? All right. Well, you made a choice to make this pretty sad. That's not fair. That's not fair. I'm being unfair to you. You didn't make a choice. This is the reality of the situation. And also, when people ask, are there more opportunities for dwarf actors? The truth is there's more opportunities for Peter Dinklage. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, someone like Warwick Davis. But yeah, I mean, you can count on one hand. And by that, I mean two fingers. The opportunities are out there for dwarf actors. And it's a shame. Yeah. Hopefully, Peter Dinklage, you know, maybe he can use his fame to help other dwarf actors. I don't know. You know, all I know is that they're the last really exploited group of people that nobody gives a fuck about. Yeah. And that's fucked up. Yeah. And I was sad researching this. And I'm going to blame the people at the Big Boobs and Butts fucking podcast for depressing me, making me sad by suggesting this topic. You know what? I should have just left you with this fucking topic. Let you be sad researching this motherfucking shit. I would have taken it from a different angle. What would you have done with it, Slate? I'm not sure. I would have talked a lot about Tiny Town, though. Here's what Slate would have done. Midgets are fun. Probably. You would have been terrible. You'd I would have, have definitely P. taken... Barnum, I would have taken the show. high road on it because I do understand the term midgets is offensive. It originated to be rude and to make fun of people. I definitely wouldn't have done that. But I think that I would have seen how bad everything was going and I would have tried to do something that was a little bit more entertaining. Find some levity. Find some <laughs> Find fucking a little levity. Bit of levity. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no levity here, Slate. Yeah. It's pretty sad. A tiny town is some bad shit shit though. Yeah. You should watch it, everyone at home, because it's pretty terrible. Put it on the website. Watch Under the Rainbow too, just so that you can feel as uh, bad as I do researching this. Kind of done with Chevy Chase. All right, that's all I got for this episode. Thanks for joining us for this depressing but informative episode on little people. Thanks, Anything everyone. Else, no, I'm good. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments, comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.
there's an organization called the Little People of America, and it's a it's a big organization that. <laughs> Sorry. Good God. <laughs> we'll have a big organization for oh, little people. Oh my God. <laughs> God, fuck. Well, I know what the tag for this episode is going to be. 